Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, aka Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver. And Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. Hey, Coz. We're halfway through Sexual Health Awareness Month. And as you know by now, we've partnered with our friends at KY Canada to bring you dope episodes centered around your sexual health. The time has come. We've been breaking you in all season. And now we're going all the way there. Our most uncensored episode yet. Warning, definitely 18 plus and probably not the episode to pay out loud in your office or around your kiddos. Our expert today is a headmistress, an educator of the unspeakable and holds the world record for volume squirting. Yep, that's what I said. Today we're talking with headmistress Lola Jean about everything you've ever wanted to know. I learned a ton today and I tried to put away as much of my nervous energy as possible because we're discussing and debunking sexual mythbusters. I really hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for being with us today, Lola Jean. Very nice to virtually meet you. <laughs> I wish it was in real life, but such as life. But this episode is all about mythbusters. And when you go to lilygene.com, we instantly get what you're all, all about. The messaging is very clear and to the point. So what we'd love for you to tell us is how you got here and a bit about your journey to self-discovery. Oh, well, it's, I guess it's like a long and an interesting one, but basically, well, first I haven't been squirting for all of my life. I am the world record holder in squirting, which is probably how you found me. Um, but I'm also a sex educator a pro dom, a fetish wrestler, um, yeah, and and many other things. It always adds. The interesting thing is that pretty much all of these things started happening at the same time. I kind of started my path into sex education. I started working at a dungeon and pro doming. I also started doing fetish wrestling professionally, and I started squirting, kind of all in like at least the same couple of months. And like that was kind of happenstance. But what it was, it was during a period of my life where I called it my second sexual revolution. I had my first one when I was in my earlier 20s. And that one was a little less focused on me and my pleasure. It was more of like exerting my sexuality, experiencing things, doing things, not giving a fuck, all that. Uh, But it got me really exhausted at the end of the day because I wasn't taking care of myself um, in the end and what I needed and wanted. So... I have always been sexually curious. The second time I ever had sex with a threesome with two men um, when I was like 17. So, you know, out of the gate, I was already just like, I'm down, whatever it may be. Um, But in the second sexual revolution, um, I so I mean, since I am no longer a relationship version, but I was a relationship version up until last year. Um, So I'd never been in a relationship. I had finally found this person that I felt like I could, you know, be my freaky self with and I could be, you know, he accepted me for my personality and all these things. And he was the first person that I had squirted with, or at least that I was aware that I had squirted because I might have done it before, but. As the first time it happens, usually unless you have like a lot of evidence, you're not as aware of it. Um, and for reasons unrelated to that, he had ended things with me like the day after. Uh, so I was kind of left with, okay, I found this person. Took me like 26 or seven years, however old I was. My body can do this thing I didn't know it could do. I am not waiting any longer to find like a partner. I'm going to do all these things by myself, but this time I'm going to do it with 
with my pleasure in mind and really trying to more safeguard myself so I didn't burn out like I did the last time. And through that period, I also was like, you know, yoloing, quit my job. I was working as a waitress for a bit. Um, and then I was just trying to find jobs I didn't hate. And I kind of fell into sexuality, pro-doming, wrestling, all of these things. Um, and yeah, and then it turns out I was really good at it and I liked it. And I was able to utilize all of these skills and interests that I had that I wasn't able to do in advertising or marketing what I worked in. Before we move on, I just want for the people who don't know, what is pro-doming? Yeah. So pro-doming is um, the, the general vernacular, but people call it a dominatrix. So it is dominating people professionally um, for money generally. And and now I'm like more of an occasional pro-dom. I mainly, my mode is fetish wrestling. So that's kind of a niche within pro-domination. Can you explain that too? Yeah. So fetish wrestling, it's not the same as pro wrestling or like MMA um, because the intention's a bit different and we don't want people to get hurt. Um, but it does pull a lot from jujitsu. You know, jujitsu, the, the point of it is to get the bodies really close to each other as well. That's where you can get the advantage. So you can see how easily that switch can be flipped to make it a little bit sexual. Um, but I I trained in jujitsu kind of because I was like, oh, I need to learn how to do this if I want to do fetish wrestling and I like being competitive and strong. So this seems like fun. And then I just really liked it and it really fit. And I get to trash talk a lot, which I love. So yeah, it's um more of overpowering physically men where I am clothed. I choose to be clothed. I choose for them to be clothed. And for me, I'm like, it has to feel like a sport. It can feel like whatever you want it to feel like. But for me, it has to feel like a sport. That's so dope. And I love that your story talks about how like you sort of fell into it. I feel like mostly everybody who does something they love, it almost you end up just falling into it by not only chance, but maybe serendipity, a little good luck and, you know, work. But um, it's awesome. So we kind of want to get this out of the way right off the top. But what exactly are the roles and responsibilities of a headmistress? And what does a volume sporting competition entail? So right now I was thinking exactly what you're talking about, like a UFC ring with two people on either side and a ref. But what what does that look like? It's kind of like our take on it because we're, you know, mistress is such the common trope and word and honorific for people that are dominance. And because we're doing a lot of things that are educational, um, some related to BDSM and some not at all, like headmistress is just kind of a fun little nod. Um, so like, you know, we're, we're all, I guess we're all technically mistresses, even if we don't go by that name. But, you know, we, we kind of made it up where it's like, it gets the point across where you can either read it and think that we are teachers or you can read it and think that we are bad bitches. So it, it, it works in both. Friends. I love that. And then for um, like the volume squirting competition, what does that what does that entail? So, man, it wasn't a competition, but I would have loved that. Um, I think I've been looking for someone else who can like compete with me and do it publicly in the format that I want. But it's it's harder, and, and two can like kind of squirt in the way that I want to. But it wasn't a competition. I just put a whole giant event around it because I don't do things small, and I like. I really, that was my first time ever curating an event. And now I'm doing the second one next week um, in New York. I'm not setting the record again. No one's broken it. So I don't need to do that. But I am doing a performance um, where I will be squirting. So when I said it the first time, I said it in a kinky carnival, which is now the Cirque de Squirt. 
um, in New York. And really like I had applied to Guinness and they were because the record had not been set and they're like, we're a family organization, so we can't do that. So I was like, okay, well, I want to make this big event or something. And I think like a friend of mine was just like, you should just do it. Just do it on your own. Use the PR that like Guinness didn't want you. So I did it by Guinness standards. So basically the stipulations are volume squirting within a one minute period using only the assistance of one's person. So only using your body, your what you are given. No toys, no other partners, nothing like that. And I did it externally too. I never penetrated myself. I didn't orgasm. And it was partially like give me validity of, I was like, I wonder if I can squirt over a liter. Um, because that was what a scientist friend of mine had said was like, the max amount that she said someone could squirt was 950 milliliters. I was like, mm, I feel like I could crush that though. Uh, and I had never like done it before and measured it. I was just kind of like, well, let's try. No one said it. So either way I have it. But it really helped prove a point that, you know, I did this and I didn't penetrate myself and I didn't orgasm. So a lot of things that you think you know about squirting are a lie. And that's kind of how I got into sex education and specifically with squirting was because I didn't see myself represented or I felt like when people would talk about squirting, I was like, but I can disprove that in five seconds. My body doesn't operate that way. There are so many different ways to squirt. And also, why are we not focusing on the person doing the squirting? Um, so I you know, started teaching people of how to do that on their own. And, and I take a really hands-off approach because you know, it takes some people can take them a day, some people a week, a month, a year, or not at all. But for some people, it's like how your body expresses yourself. But it's just like it's their own journey to figure that out. Just like I figured that out on my own in my room as well. I love that you just said that because I think that's a really big purpose of this episode to actually debunk those myths and all the misconceptions that people have, especially around squirting. So you obviously being the world record holder. We want to know, can everyone squirt? Can you control the squirt? Like, how do you guide people in achieving the squirt, Lola? So it's through masturbation. Um, and I like to delineate with, with squirting. I think there's some people whose bodies, like that's how their body expresses pleasure. That's how my body expresses pleasure. It doesn't mean that I'm always squirting. Sometimes like there'll be, remember my body just doesn't want to. And like, that's just kind of what happens with bodies is no matter how, it's just like, it's not working today um, or it's not working how it usually does. Um, but there are some people that's how their body expresses themselves and other people it's, you know, it, it, it depends on a certain couple of things. But when you say control, it's like you can you can have control over it where you can will yourself to squirt and you can assist your body in that process. Cause like you, as someone with a vulva surprise, like you have a say and that you are part of that process it's coming out of your body. I've had people that are like, Oh, I could only do it with this one person. It was only them. It was like, your body squirted, right? You did it. That means you can do it again. It's not one person who has like the magic touch. Um, and it's really just a process of getting to know your body. So however, you can't, it is harder to control turning the faucet off. It's easy to turn it on and it's harder to turn it off. And in doing that, you'll, I mean, if I try not to squirt, then I might be inhibiting my pleasure, which just isn't as fun. Um, and, you know, I mean, for me, I have a love-hate relationship with squirting. I love it. It taught me so many new things about my body. It gave me so much more control over my pleasure, over my squirting and my orgasming because they're two different things. But also it's so annoying. Uh, it's like, I, sometimes I just don't want to squirt or I don't want to ruin all the sheets or the bed. Um, 
it can, it's can be really frustrating or just having to always like keep my awareness of like, Oh, I think this puppy pads spill. Let's get another one, uh, all of the time. And just, yeah, it, it can be a lot, but I do think that everyone with a vulva is capable of squirting if they have a coordinated pelvic floor in relationship with their vulva. However, it's nothing it's, we can ever prove. Um, I know a lot of people that start squirting, like, you know, in their forties, fifties after they have kids, because they're forced to have a relationship with their vulva. They have to understand it a lot and their pelvic floor. Uh, and so there's different ways that that we can get to know that and do that. And notice I don't say strong pelvic floor. I say coordinated. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. As soon as you say pelvic floor, I started kegling. It's so crazy. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I think because probably of societal shame that, you know, you want to have your vagina tight. It needs to be tight. It can't be loose and all of these things. And we just focus on the kegel. But I have colleagues that are pelvic floor therapists and they're seeing a lot of people that have like, you know, hyper contracted pelvic floors, um, which that is an issue too. Um, and that can result in things where you have like incontinence and whatnot. So it's how it's having a coordinated pelvic floor. So it's not just a contraction. It's the relaxation and the length. And it. it's like a muscle. You don't want to just you know, have your biceps, you got to do the whole motion. This this one of my girlfriends is pregnant. This is just to kind of fill in your point, but she went to the doctor because she's, she's saying like, I feel like my, my vagina is going to fall out like of my body. And she went to a pelvic floor specialist and they're like, it's too tight. Like do not do any Kegels ever. Like stop it right now. You have to do basically the opposite of Kegels. Like try to like, as if you're trying to push something out rather than up in so you're not wrong about that. Uh, so interesting that the shame around that has really almost had a negative effect now on some people. Um, so this is like the magic mythbuster question of all time. I asked this question to someone last week, as a matter of fact, um, is squirt pee? Uh, no, but why do you care? Uh, that's usually my answer to it at this point is that the thing is, is when people ask me this question, I don't really think they want to know the answer. I think they want to argue their point. Um, I I've had submissives drink my pee and drink my squirt. Um, and they can tell you that they're different things. I've also like had the, one of the biggest pees of my life and then squirted a ton, um, from the areas they're coming out of. So they are, they are different fluids. Like you can find prostate specific antigen in squirt that you don't find that in urine. And that's specifically um, prosthetic fluid that comes from the skin's glands. 
So squirt comes from both the urethra and the skein's glands. The skein's glands drain into the urethra. So a lot of times the people feel like, oh, I thought I had to squirt, but then I just peed a bunch. It's like, well, it's got to leave your body somehow. And it's either going to leave your body in your urine or not. But yeah, it's not, it's not pee, it's squirt. And that's why we call it squirt. You know, otherwise we'd call it sexy pee or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's, I'm burning so much. This is amazing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just like, that's, it's an argument that like a lot of the studies on squirting suck. They don't have good controls or they have really small sample sizes. And I'm like, why are we calling this a study? That was 10 people. Yeah, it, it, it is very interesting because a lot of things I find with sex are, they're either like you learn, people learn stuff from porn or they, they didn't learn anything from anywhere. Because maybe, I mean, I'm thinking about my upbringing and being like in a super Catholic school where it was just like, just don't have sex. Like, just don't have sex until you find that one perfect magical person and that's it. So then there's so much out there that you have to learn and explore on your own. And a lot of times um, you can run into partners that are unwilling or partners who are super open. And then you put so much on the partner rather than doing your own self-discovery. So I love this conversation for all those people out there who, who are just starting to figure out their sexuality and, and you can start to figure out your sexuality. It doesn't have to be 19. There's, you can all through your life, you're figuring out your sexuality. And then, and I love that you said earlier that you, you've gone through kind of two sexual revolutions that that's a beautiful thing to me because it's people think like, it's just one thing that happens in your life and you figure out all the answers. You're always learning. I mean, like case in point, I learned a new thing about my vagina, like the other week. I was playing with my partner and then he kind of flipped his hand. So he was really going down like south in the vagina, kind of on the perennial sponge that the wall where like that the anal cavity and the vagina share. And that spot is very pleasurable for me, but it's not as sensitive as my G spot. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever felt. And it's like, I'm never going to stop learning. And also my body's not going to stop changing. Yes. So it's like case in point, like there's always, there's always new things to learn. Your body will surprise you. Okay. I saw some merch on your website that said squirting is not an orgasm. So, cause through porn, it seems like it's like the pinnacle of orgasm. Can you explain the difference or elaborate on, on that, on your merch piece? Yeah. So I like to I, and this might be lost. I say this in like England too. And some usually has to translate it into like rugby terms, but I compare it to like American football, but squirting and orgasming are like field goals and touchdowns. They're all points at the end of the day. And you can win the game with field goals. Field goals are easier to get to, but sometimes you really want a touchdown. And sometimes you get a touchdown and you get to kick the extra point as well. Um, and for a lot of people, when they squirt, they're, or when they orgasm, they're going to be squirting as well. So generally for me, you, if I'm orgasming, I'm probably squirting. But if I'm squirting, I'm, I'm likely not orgasming. It's going to happen a lot more frequently and a lot faster. I always shock people when I do demonstrations because I start squirting in about three seconds, like as soon as I start touching myself pretty much because it's I have a very like good mind body connection and there's like a check-in that happens um, and, and preparation and whatnot, but they're not, they're not the same thing. And 
for a lot of people, it's kind of similar to like a prostate orgasm versus like a penis orgasm. They're very different. They're very good, but they're different things. And sometimes they happen together. And I describe squirting. It just, it feels like a release. It feels like I have this really big itch and someone finally scratched it. Or like when you have a sneeze for like five minutes and then you finally sneeze, like it feels like that release. So it makes sense that when you orgasm, you are also releasing, but this isn't true for everyone. And I, I especially feel like when people start squirting, it's usually with orgasm, but then when they get to understand it better and know their body better and what causes them specifically to squirt, it's a lot easier to achieve. So I always like to talk to people if they just started squirting, like talk to me in three years because you're going to hate it a little bit. And then you're also going to realize it's not an orgasm. I love that you differentiated it and your analogies are on point for everyone to get the understanding. What would you say are some tips that you think can help women enjoy, optimize, and explore themselves during what you refer to as the hand jive? <laughs> Maybe start by breaking down the hand jive. Yeah. So the, the hand jive is more, um, that's more of like with a partner and different type of fingering things that we can do. But when it comes to squirting specifically, so specifically with like, you know, finger being the hand jive, that's thinking about, okay, what are the different spots? inside of the vagina and around the vulva that could potentially feel pleasure. So kind of understand where you're aiming for. If you are doing self-pleasure, then one of the things with that, especially for squirting, is when I was talking about pelvic floor coordination. So your pelvic floor is real. I mean, it's important in your life. Urination, defecation, orgasm. You know, ideally we're doing all of those a day or, or at least most of them. So this is a very important function in our lives, but also in terms of our pleasure. And we can have a lot more control over our pleasure, not just our squirting or our orgasming um, when we're able to utilize this. So when I was saying not to focus just on the contraction, the Kegel or the Kegel, um, the relaxation, which is important because you need to be in a relaxed state, try a child's pose. Usually your pelvic floor will relax then, but also the elongation and really playing with that contraction elongation while you masturbate and seeing how that changes your pleasure. Because generally what will happen is during the contraction, that's stimulating your internal clitoris because your pelvic floor is just like a bowl around like the middle of your body kind of. And that's going to stimulate that. Whereas the elongation, at least for me, that's something that I need to physically do to get the squirt out of my body while I do something pleasurable. But there isn't one way to squirt. I always say that you want to get a lot of engorgement in your G area and also in that, that six o'clock zone that I said when I isolated it, like blew my mind. Um, it's like 12 and six is just a bunch of erectile tissue, but you want to get that engorgement so that you have squirt fluid that's built up. And then it's a matter of trying to figure out how to get it out of your body. And the best way to do that is elongation of the pelvic floor while you do a thing you really like. And it, it can be external. Honestly, I think it's easier when it's external because you're not blocking the vaginal canal or like the urethral opening, the skin's glands around that area. Would you describe elongation like the, like I was saying, like the opposite of like the Kegels in elongation is like push out? I'm just doing it while you're talking about it. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, a couple of different analogies I've heard that work is if you think of like slowly pulling an elevator up with your vagina and then pushing it back down. Um, or like if you're pushing out a menstrual cup, something similar to that. It is not the same as pushing like you're peeing. That is a different thing. Um, but it's like pushing out a tampon or a menstrual cup or a penis, something like that. And it, if you put your finger inside, it kind of feels like, you know, you'll feel like the tubey things, it's just your vagina, but it feels kind of like different like tubes that are kind of pushing on your finger. Got it. 
That was very helpful. So we want to kind of dive into the topic of group sex. I think because again, group sex is like a myth bustery type of thing that people are a little bit I think, nervous about. There's a lot of mysticism and maybe they don't even know where to begin asking the right questions. So if people are ready to include some friends in their sexy time, uh, what would you say are some of the pillars for enjoying a positive group sex experience? And where do people interested in that find each like one another to play with? Yeah. I mean, so, so many things here. I have had, I've had a lot of group sex. I have mostly, actually, I have rarely had it when I was like in a couple, I probably can count on one hand the amount where I was like tethered to someone. And I think that's something that's often overlooked as we think, I mean, it's common for like, oh, we're a couple. We want to have a threesome and like spice up our relationship. There are easier ways to spice up your relationship that don't involve hurting a third person. Um, I have been that third person so many times and it has sucked a lot. Um, And I kind of prefer sometimes with couples, but I honestly would, I'm more wary when it is with couples. So I think it's easier when you're not in a committed romantic closed relationship, because then there's not all of these different added elements of like jealousy, insecurity, all these different things, which, you know, can come up anyway. And it's things that you need to work through. It's not things that you need to just like barricade yourself from because we, we shouldn't avoid jealousy. We should. Un- okay. Gabrielle Smith, who is an educator says jealousy isn't real. It is not a real emotion. It's just a signifier of another emotion. And I believe that to be true. So that's one thing. The other thing is when it comes to expectation, I think we have all these grandiose expectations of group sex and that can really leave you from being present. And whether those expectations are something from porn, I think one of the largest things is that you have to be fucking and sucking the whole time. And that it's like all, and like, no, there's breaks. And like, you can go and get a drink. You can go to the bathroom. You can get a shower. I had a threesome the other last week in a hotel. And it was great. Cause like there was a shower that was kind of in the middle of the room. And it's like, oh, cool. You can like take a shower and you can still kind of see what's going on. And so, I mean, it could be something like that, but really think about expectations being more about having fun. What would be fun for me? What's fun for me is if everyone's having a good time and what's fun for someone else could be that like, oh, they just like to watch. So if I know that, then I'm like, oh, well, I know you're having a good time if you're watching. That's something you like to do. Or if I'm worried about everybody having a good time, then maybe I should be the director. Um, So kind of figuring that like usually, unless you're maybe at a like sex party, but you're going to need to plan group sex a little bit, even if it's just like, what positions is everyone like, forward to is there anything anybody wants like something to happen um the last threesome i had i was like okay i think these four things would be really hot and i'd like to try it we maybe got to three of them before somebody was just like i'm tapped out and it's like okay sounds good we still did three really cool things and it was fun i think i was the only one who came but like we were all happy because we had fun um and we got to do new things that we hadn't done before so you know it I think when it's something that we're nervous about, we're like, don't talk about it. And it's like, that's going to work against you so much because you're going to, it's like, you're in your head so much during two person sex, add a third person to this. And it can be a lot or, or it could be just how you look at it where it's just like, especially the last reason I have my partner, he likes to like skull fuck or face fuck people. And that's a really hard boundary for me, but I want to find, I really want him to enjoy himself. I'm like, Oh, we could do this with a third person who likes that too. And then I don't have to do it. That would be great for me because I hate it. Uh, so there's so many different angles and ways that you can look at it. Um, especially like I have a huge like fear of abandonment and I find ways that I can, you know, confront and address that consistently that really help to invalidate that. So it's, 
you know, it doesn't have to be the scary thing. We just have to approach it smarter. Totally agree. I think so many people have made up connotations in their head, even including myself. So back to basic, how would you approach a conversation with, let's say, your friends with benefits that you want to include a third person in? Where do you even start with that conversation, Lola? So, I mean, I don't like to approach things from like, hey, I want to do this with you. I want to first kind of gauge what they're interested in or even like matchmaking what kind of scenarios are hot to them. So I already knew in this threesome that I had that there's like this submissive I've been um, like loosely seeing for like years and years. And we know what our fantasies are in group sex scenarios. And we've talked about them a lot, but we haven't done them because we haven't found the right person. And this other guy I'm seeing who's like, he's pretty queer. And I was like, okay, so you'll be cool with like maybe another guy doing stuff to you. Um, You're switchy, but kind of subby to me. So maybe, you know, you can do a thing to me while I peg him. Um, And just kind of like getting the scenario of like, okay, well, would you be interested in this? This could be really hot. And talking about it that way, it kind of becomes a little bit of like foreplay on its own as well. Um, But not approaching it in a way where someone has to say yes or no, because then that person can't decide what reason they want to buy into it. They need to have time to sexualize this too. So what helps is, you know, just seeing how they feel about it, but also expressing why it is, what the feelings are, why you want to do it. And not like, oh, I think it's hot. It turns me on. Yeah, probably. That's why you want to do it. No, like what feelings or why do you think it would be enjoyable? Maybe you're like, I want to be overwhelmed. I want to have so many genitals in my face that it's hard for me to breathe or something like what, whatever the thing may be. Um, where like me and my partner discovered, I was like, oh my God, I really like having sex like with you as a team. I like us like fucking someone together. It's really hot. We like mashed our thrust. I was like, that was, I didn't know I liked that with you. So like you can figure these kind of things out as well too, or what you're worried about. And I really encourage like not making boundaries. So for the person you're approaching it with, maybe like they're like, okay, well, I'm hesitant about it. So let's do things my way. And a lot of people default to that, but that doesn't, that's not necessarily the right thing to do. Um, I've had couples clients where they're like, okay, my boyfriend wants to have a threesome, but I think I'm going to get jealous. So he's not allowed to penetrate them or kiss them. It's like, well, that might suck for someone else. Um, Cause maybe kissing is really important to them. And now they just kind of feel like a body that you're renting out. So you still want to be cognizant of, you know, the third, fourth, like their wants and needs are just as valid as this person who is hesitant about group sex. They're going to need to find a reason to buy in. And that won't necessarily just be like going and seeing how you feel or like even at sex parties, because some the vibe is so different at each party and different types of people. I've gone to so many sex parties where I'm like, ah, it's going to hang out, not really feeling anyone. But I know y'all live in Toronto and collectively, I feel like a lot of my friends and I decided that Oasis Aqua Lounge is like our favorite sex club in the world. That's like down the street for me. Really? I've never heard. Oh, I'm learning so much. This is amazing. Um, I think what's amazing about what you're saying is that communication is just so key. And I think a lot of people get so nervous and scared. And it's, if it's your partner or someone you like, that's the whole point. You're supposed to be able to communicate and talk. And these skills are so important, whether you're talking about sex or I don't know, doing the laundry. Um, Hygiene and cleanliness has been so paramount during COVID. But I also know a lot of women suffer and struggle with the issues surrounding like pH balance and the the need for our vaginas to smell like roses or this weird kind of myth that comes with 
like, I don't know, back in the day, it was like douching and all this kind of stuff about having this vagina that smells like something it actually doesn't smell like. And it is a self-cleaning unit. So um, how do you, as a sexual expert, what does your feminine hygiene routine entail? I don't know if that's too personal, but like, what are some ways or secrets we need to know when taking care of ourselves physically? Yeah. When it comes to my body, there's like nothing personal anymore. And like, it's more of like emotional things, but man with BV bacterial vaginosis, that's like a particular pH imbalance. Oh, I've been through the ringer on that. And I still like go through bouts of it as well. Um, that can be annoying, but also it's like, if you kind of like smell and taste yourself regularly, then you'll also know when something's up. So that's kind of the first way to keep that in mind. So vaginas are acidic. They are supposed to be acidic. That is how they thrive. And so penises, semen is around seven of a pH, which is neutral, but it more thrives in a basic environment. So that's why like pre-cum, like that is going to be more basic because it wants the sperm to survive when they go into acidic vagina territory. So these things don't really like, that's why it's, it, it happened that way, but they don't really combine. Um, so that's why it's also really important to pee after sex a lot, not just for UTIs, but for this as well. But for me personally, I just kind of keep up to date on like paying attention to my discharge in relation to my, my menstrual cycle or not. And when I kind of notice like a larger change in the amount of discharge or maybe in the smell, what I'll do is I do suppositories of some sort of boric acid type solution. There's a lot of different companies that make them and yeah, you know, or different things that are acidic, like lactic acid. And I'm also very careful of anything I put in or around my vagina that it is pH balanced. So I have lubricant that is pH balanced and has lactic acid in it. I have a wash um, by Oh My God Yes, that's pH balanced, has lactic acid in it. And in your vagina, don't like no sugar, like don't just don't put anything up there at all in general. And I'm really just trying to do water mainly. Uh, the only thing that I'll really put near my vagina when I'm cleaning is a pH balance wash. And that's really going on my vulva, not internal at all. You don't need to put anything internal. If something is like smelling whatever, it's your body's way of telling you something. It's like when my cats like poop not in the litter box, they're trying to tell me they're sick. Like they're not just misbehaving. So it's your body trying to tell you something, but also like your vagina should smell like vagina. Um, it shouldn't smell like a scent. And if someone doesn't like that, then maybe they should question if they like vagina or not. Uh, Cause like I've, I've got down on people with who have vulvas and vaginas and it's not this horrific experience. I feel like a lot of people who've approached my bits, I think specifically cis men are just very entitled. Um, and they're like very used to expecting something, even if it's, that's just from porn or that's from one person that they've seen before, but like, it's no one's right to shame our body. That's absolutely ridiculous. Especially if you're in a vulnerable situation where they're seeing at least your naked vulva, like how dare they? I mean, it's like, if they don't, if they want to do that, then like, they don't have to have it either. And I understand that that's like an extremist. Maybe you're like, it's my husband of five years. I can't just kick him out of my life because he doesn't like that. But what I like to do is I like to hold up a mirror to people. And if they say something like that, I'll make them repeat. Like, did you just say this? And I'll repeat it yeah. back to them so they can acknowledge, like, that's the thing you said. Do you, yeah. you don't see how that's wrong yeah. at all. I think you need to think about that more. And I just let them go and do their own thing, but just yeah. hold up the mirror and walk away. I'll I figure it out. <laughs> Lola, what's so important about that, about you saying that, and it's not harsh at all, but people, if they do take it harsh or not, what's important about that is that, it allows the space for so many women to now feel more comfortable 
Like when you are an advocate for women in this way, it allows for us to feel more comfortable in it because there's so much noise on the other side from hetero men of a way that they particularly want something that is based again on, on fiction. It's based on, on a, on a movie set of porn. I kind of have a funny story about that. So I have a massive case of penis envy. Um, that's why I like wearing straps. That's why I like playing with flaccid penises. That's why I like holding them when they pee, like huge case of penis envy. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by them endlessly, mostly in their soft state. Um, Cause that's how they usually are. But I was asking my boyfriend the other day and I was just like, what's it like having a penis? Just like, tell me about it. And he's like, I don't know. It's just kind of there. Like, I mean, he's like, what's it like having a vagina? Cause he thought it'd be the same. And I was like, oh, it's kind of like, I don't know what's going on with you. Something might hurt. And I don't know what it means if it's serious, if I should go to a doctor. Um, or sometimes I don't know if it's like, uh, are you discharging your menstruator or am I just turned on? And he's like, whoa, no, it's not like that at all. That's so many things. I'm like, it's kind of just a mystery. It's just a mystery box between my legs. And I was like, oh, that's not what having a penis is like. Like, I feel like I blew his mind where he's like, oh, it's like the same as having a vagina, right? And it's like, no, that is so good. <laughs> So we want to kind of switch gears and talk about, you know, the evolving beauty standards where ass is it. Booty, 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 booty rocking everywhere, as we know. So we want to kind of remove some of the stigma and normalize conversations around anal sex. Like, let's myth bust this a little bit. Pew, 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 pew. So lots of people enjoy anal sex. I think that a lot of people also don't talk about that. I think they just kind of keep it quietly off to the side because of, you know, all the shame, all the things. So, I mean, it makes sense because there's lots of pleasure points, as we all know, in the anus that can lead us to having some beautiful orgasms, if you will. Uh, so how do we kind of best prepare for anal play? Do we need to douche? Is that a myth? What Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, first is talking about like the shame and stigma of why anal sex has stigma. And that's because poop and farts and like things that happen in the bathroom are very private things that people don't like to talk about. Or like, you know, some people don't fart in front of their significant others or like not one of my friends like poops in people's mouths for a living. So we are on a different level of sharing and it's kind of been very liberating as well. And like, she talks about that with like her boyfriend and sometimes she's like, okay, babe, like, no, I don't need to know the details. Um, but it's, that's like a generally, like it's a very shameful thing. So that's why we don't like to talk about that as well. Um, and if you think of people are like worried about what their vagina looks, smells, tastes like that times 20 when it comes to someone's butt as well. So understanding that it's also going to be one of the reasons that prevent people from having anal sex or it makes people uncomfortable if that's something that they're engaging with. It's usually pain and poop are the two reasons, no matter what genitals we're packing, that's going to make us wary of this. But yeah, Poop and pain are going to be reasons that prevent people from engaging in, in anal play or potentially being open to it even. I think a lot of people are like exit only because they don't want to have to deal with those two potential things rather than like, I don't really like that sensation. Because at the end of the day, like if you are hesitant or don't want to do this, you're going to have a tight sphincter. And a tight sphincter means that this is not going to be fun. Your sphincter needs to be relaxed because otherwise that's going to prevent any of the enjoyable things on the inside from being enjoyable. And there's plenty of ways that we can relax the sphincter via anal massage, a lot of external stimulation, really going slowly before internal stimulation. Um, but regardless in terms of prep, so we'll talk about poop first, then we'll talk a little bit about pain. So when it comes to poop, 
Um, you know, you know your body best and, you know, certain people have more GI issues than others. Um, or there might be things in your body that, you know, make anal play a not ideal thing to do. If you have hemorrhoids then like maybe anal play isn't in your future. Um, or if your GI is like really, really sensitive, maybe anal play is not in your future or maybe, maybe it is. It just, you know, might be a toss up of, of how messy it's going to be. Um, but you can, you can douche beforehand. And I think it makes a lot of people more comfortable because they don't have to worry about that. But it's also not 100% necessary depending on the person and their body, um, especially when we have awareness of our bowels. So most of the times that I have received anal play has been surprise anal, meaning like I wasn't preparing for that to happen, but it ended up happening. Um, and there's just more of a check-in of like, okay, I think I've like pooped pretty recently. I don't feel like I'm not having kind of stomach issues or anything like, you know, your body, um, but you can figure it out based on that. And even so, like I recommend using barriers, not just for preventing um, or protecting against STIs, but for fecal matter and for bacteria and things like that. And it's just a lot easier for cleanup. I love using like the black tattoo artist gloves, using condoms on dildos, on bio penises, whatever it may be. Um, but that way it's easy where like I can use multiple gloves and I can change that out. Um, and that way I don't have to worry about like leaving, washing my hands, coming back, all those different things. I can just kind of put them all to the side, put them on a towel. Um, and also that way, like if poop does happen, cause like it's a butt, it might, then it's not as big of a deal if it's on my glove. Um, I, I don't know if people are expecting there to be like projectile poop coming out of a butt during anal sex, but like that's not what happens. Like when you pull out, oh, there's some poop that's there. It's like usually not that bad. You know, the, it depends on the person and what their preparation process is. Some people like the ritual of douching beforehand or like preparing their body for someone or maybe for someone that really like anal, but like poop grosses them out so much. So it's like, okay, well, let's make sure whoever's receiving it, you know, cleans properly beforehand. And you can look up, up online. Um, I've just done like the regular old like enema bulbs to be able to wash out. You don't want to do this too much because it does strip some of the natural bacteria that exists inside, but once in a while is totally okay. That's where it comes to prep for poop. When it comes to pain, some people are going to say you need to train with an anal with a plug before you do butt stuff. Not necessarily true, though also not a bad idea. I think what can be hard is like when we use a plug, we're still trying to like push it in. Uh, and we're not necessarily doing a lot of this warm up. So things like vibration, things like anal massage, which is just like kind of using your fist sort of around the sphincter, not putting it in, just moving it around. And as well as just using fingers, doing finger play and kind of feeling around for the spots. Understand based on what genitalia the person you're penetrating is, understand what places you are going for. Generally, we're always going to be going towards the genitals. If someone has a vulva, then we're going to either be going towards like kind of where the G spot is or where the C spot is a little bit further because it's sharing a wall with the vagina. It's just going to not be as sensitive, which can be really great because then you can like kind of go a little bit harder or do a bit more um, in certain areas. Where someone has a penis, you're going for the prostate, which again is down towards genitals, just not as far in as well. So understand where it is that you're going. Use your fingers, use your fingers first, because also that's going to help you understand tactile of like, oh, this is a spot that you like because we were communicating as this was happening. Um, and on your own, it's hard to do self-anal play with your hand. Um, you can get a like suction cup dildo. You can get different toys. Um, the Enjoy Pure One is a great one for self-play as well. So that could be a good idea, but you want to make sure that you're not just like 
shoving things in, no matter how lubricated they are. Because if your sphincter's not ready, again, it's not going to be very fun. So also I should say too, like being patient, be patient with the sphincter, let it welcome you in. And that can just be through breathing because that controls the pelvic floor, which kind of also controls the vagina and the sphincter, all the things kind of squeeze or contract together. And then just, you know, different types of play, whether whether it's rimming, whether it's things with your hands. And my kind of take on anal play as a receiver, at least, is I'm like, I don't love it usually, but sometimes I do. And it depends. And I'm open to having my mind change usually. If I ever don't like it, then I'll just stop it. But it really just kind of depends on how my body's feeling that day, where there are some people who like absolutely love it. And maybe they love it for the physicality of it, or maybe they just like the perverse idea of anal sex because it's wrong and dirty, right? Um, But I think one of the larger things is, especially when it comes to people with penises, I think there's a lot more stigma for them to enjoy anal sex as a receiver, when in reality, they're kind of built to enjoy anal sex more than anyone else is. Damn, girl. (laughs) <laughs> taking notes, taking notes out here, Lola Jane. Um, we had our audience ask a question about finding the best sex toy. You know, it can be intimidating looking online. There's so many options, never mind going into a sex store. So can you share your recos for, I don't know, let's say like someone who's getting their first sex toy, someone who's a bit more intermediate and advanced, all the options for our listeners? Yeah. So firstly, if you have the option to go to a sex store, I recommend doing that. The people who work there do this for a living and they nerd out about it and they love it. And they can also tell you like, this is our top seller. So you can be like, oh, I know that most people buy this thing that tells me something or even just based on your body. So if you can get over you know, that anxiety of doing so, like they don't care. They've also heard everything. What you're going to say will not shock them, I promise. And if you do, honestly, they will love you for that because it doesn't happen as often. So that would be one just because you can kind of have the look and feel of it. People often say if there's any kind of vibration or the toy to put it to your nose to be able to feel that. But I think for a first toy, it really depends because there's so many different kinds of toy. There's toys that vibrate. There's toys that have a different kind of texture on them. And there's toys that provide kind of an air pressure or suction. There's insertable or not. I think if you get a vibrating toy though, this could be very versatile because you can also use it in a non-vibrating setting for whatever it may be, whether it's internal or external. Because like a lot of people like vibration. I don't really like vibration. And I feel like that's most of the toys on the market. Sometimes I do, but generally I I prefer non-vibrating toys. So, you know, if that, I I don't want to tell someone to go buy a vibrator because what if you're like me and you're like, oh, but I don't like this. What about it? Use it in its off mode and just use it still if you don't like that. And really experimenting with how different things feel. There's not, there's like probably five ways to use one sex toy. And maybe they only list two of those on the back of the box or something like that. So you can really experiment with different parts of the toy on different parts of your body, not just on the clit or the tip of the penis, not just internally or not just externally. There's a lot of ways you can experiment with it. I would also say sex toys are built for the lazy. They are robots and they can do things that humans can't do. They can provide incredible repetition. They can provide a very consistent rhythm. Um, So they are designed to make your job easier as well. So, you know, use that. And maybe if it's surprising, you really push your body past what you think it's capable of. And like, trust this toy. Don't push past pain. But I always say like, 
not necessarily a discomfort, but when something is different or new, sometimes you might like be like, oh no, my body hasn't done that. I don't know what my body's going to do. What if it's something embarrassing? You are masturbating. No one's going to know about the embarrassing thing, but you. And that's usually when you get that feeling, that's a place where you can learn and figure out something new. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We were talking about like celebrity endorsed toys that kind of all of a sudden they're all the rage because there's a marketing dollars behind it. Like the rabbit when sex and city talked about the rabbit, but now um, the real housewives have talked about like Yoni eggs and Benoit balls. And now they're all over social media. Do you think they're effective or is there not, is this just another myth that marketers are using to capitalize on female insecurity around vaginal elasticity? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. I think I, I Ben balls, I don't really, I can't really say anything about, but for like yoni eggs, aside from the fact that I hate the word yoni, which I understand, like, don't, can we cut, can we say things clinically until we, cause that's like a lot of people don't like the word pussy and that's totally fine, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna just call someone's like vulva until they're like, actually, I prefer if you call it my cut. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for yoni eggs, like, I don't recommend them for like, vaginal exercise because we also discussed how like you can have I feel like it's called I think it's called a hypertonic pelvic floor when it's like overly contracted but I do like them for muscle awareness because you can have a yoni ache in your vagina and you can still pee Um, and then you're kind of feeling like different kinds of pressure um, or you'll be able to kind of move that as well so I think it can be interesting for that muscle awareness but I don't think it's like I don't think you need a training tool. And also we have an internal sex organ, like put your finger in there and get some real time feedback instead of being like, am I doing it right? There's a ball inside of me. Um, and for the celebrity endorsement things, like they might not have used any of these things as well. Usually they don't, honestly. They're like, oh shit, someone's paid me for this thing. Same thing with the drinks and like all that. Like most of the time they, or they do it for the shot and then they don't use it again. Um, I echo your feelings about that word, Yoni. I hate it a lot. Um, so. We have another audience question and they want to know how to become better at dirty talk. Um, I think everyone in general sometimes wants to know or wants to get more comfortable with it. And I think lots of people feel really awkward about verbalizing how they're feeling. So um, how can we find our authentic sexual voice and what are some alternative sexual indicators uh, we can play up if dirty talk like isn't quite right for us? Yeah. So for dirty talk specifically for the people that are like, I'm so bad at the word things. Um, firstly, figuring out in what context you want to do dirty talk. I think a lot of people think about it like during sex. 
Um, but that might not be the best place for it or the best place to start um, when you're naked, you know? So I, I like to recommend it to be more beforehand and getting into it that way. Um, a lot of perception is that because it's dirty, like that's the word in it, dirty talk, that it has to be degrading, but that's not true at all. It's speech that is meant to elicit an arousal. So that's like really vague so we can play with it. And if you're not good at saying the words, you're not good at improvising or you don't have the gift of gab, um, I like to recommend past, present, and future. So just using things that we already know. So past, I can talk about past experiences with that person. I can describe past experiences that I've had on my own or with other people, if that person is comfortable or that fits within the nature of our relationship. Um, I can have them tell me about a past experience. If I'm just recalling something and I'm recalling something that was pleasurable, then like that's a lot easier for me to pull from. Um, or even someone else is like, oh, how did you feel? Tell me about that. So that's the things of talking about the past, talking about past experiences that you've enjoyed or someone else has maybe in grave detail, maybe you add your own details to it or to a twist of it, but really drawing these things out. So I think one of the things with dirty talk is like we say something and it kind of ends. So like excruciating detail, elongate it. You don't have to be talking the whole time. You can use pauses. You can have giggles and moans and lip biting and all of these things. Um, I just, I kind of like whispering in people's ear a little bit too, and just like really teasing it out as well. Um, and talking about the present of like talking about what you're noticing of like, oh, I really like watching this. I like feeling this. Um, you look like whatever those things are. It doesn't have to necessarily be of like, here's what I want you to do to me. I love it when you do this or that. Cause that can feel really fake and kind of put on I'm like, Ooh, baby, I love it when you blah, blah, blah. Um, so like really make sure that it's something real and you're not just trying to like say stuff to turn your partner on or what you think that they want to hear, unless like that's something you've established beforehand or something like that. Um, but things that genuinely like feel good to you. And when it comes to future, you can talk about things in the future that like you can't wait to do, that you're interested in, um, whatever that may be. But thinking about it in like past, present, future, past is the easiest to go off of because it already happened. So we're just kind of talking about that. Um, but it can also kind of be really hot for yourself to be like, oh my God, remember that time where I had like this crazy orgasm, all of this happened and then we did that. Um, and it can kind of get both of you back into the moment as well. Um, also, you don't have to be talking the whole time. You can ask questions, asking questions of like, how does this make you feel? What do you, what do you wish I was doing with my mouth right now? Does it turn you on when I tease you like this? Like questions are great. Cause then like it involves them. They have something to answer to. I would just say, try to make them not yes or no questions. Cause that doesn't really give you a lot to build off of. Literally. Or when people are like, when people are like, oh, like, how does that make you feel? And they're like, turned on hot. It's like, Okay. Uh, like, I feel like those words are always. Yeah, honestly. I think that's a good segue into what we wanted to ask you next, just about now that we've moved after COVID and we're still in COVID times, we're dealing with a lot of digital responses and having this back and forth on not only dating apps, but texting and FaceTimes. How can we spice up our texting? Like, I mean, talk dirty via text. Are there any tips and tricks that you have for someone coming across like more seamlessly and making it more natural? Well, I think one of the first things too is making sure that you're on the same page with your person. You don't want to just like come in and being like, 
I have some homework for you to do naked. And they're like, what? Um, like, I, so making sure of like asking how they feel about that, of just like, hey, I'm kind of thinking of adding this dynamic, or I would like to be able to think about you when we're not talking. Like, what would you think about this? So just getting their thoughts on it instead of saying, hey, do you want to do this? Of getting their opinion. That also gives them room where you can say, you don't need to make a decision now. You can think about it because then they can have room to sexualize and be like, actually, wait, I thought about it. And I think it's kind of hot now. Um, that's like, that's what you're going for. You're not going for, hey, do you want to do this with me? Check yes or no. Um, but aside from bringing in all the dirty talk things we talked about into the text messaging, um, it can be a really great way of, you know, feeling like you're together when you're not, or if you're long distance or something like that. So it could be like homework assignments, I think are really fun because it's like a time where someone has to be thinking about you. So that'd be like, I want you to think of five different places that you would like to you know, make out with me or have sex with me or wherever you are in your relationship. Um, I also want to be wary about like for a lot of people, if you haven't met up yet, they don't want to necessarily do news or sexual things. So you can veer this from like, you know, very light and innocent to more sexual, depending on the nature or the stage of your relationship. So it could be, you know, five different places that you want to make out with me. Um, or it could just be like, okay, let's talk about five things that you want me to put inside of you. Um, or how would you like me to like initiate sex the next time? Let's plan it out. Or what do you think about this? And I think a lot of it too, it could be as like, choose your own adventure. That's kind of helpful for people to choose between multiple things instead of filling in the blank, because then they don't, it's easy for them because they're like, oh, I don't know which five things. And you're like, what about these four? Oh, I like that one. It's a lot easier to choose between things that we're presented with. And it also feels a lot less committal as well too. Um, but this can be a really fun way Honestly, it's an easier way to get into dirty talk because then you're able to like talk about these things, plan these things out. So it's like, great, this person pretty much has a guidebook on how I want them to fuck me the next time that they do. They understand because I'm like, tell people I like to be teased. And it's just like, you're not teasing me enough. I want you to like, I want you to like tease my hole and tease all around it before you go in. I want you to me to be like, not like verbally, but physically begging before you enter me. And it's like, I'm able to say that more when I'm, when we're basically like creating an erotica together with someone else. Um, and you could do it as, you know, what's happening right now, or it could be something for the future. Personally, I don't operate on a like, here's what I'm doing right now. Tell me what you're doing. A lot of people do. I'm like, let's talk about the next time we meet because I don't really give a shit about right now. <laughs> um, unless it could be for someone else of like, I want you to do this thing for me and take a video or a picture because I think it'd be really hot. A lot of times I just, I have a weird idea. I'm like, could you do that? Would you like, would you dress in like panties and knee highs? Um, can I see that? Can you do this pose? Um, whatever it may be. And like, you know, they can always say no, um, but it really depends on your dynamic, the nature of the relationship and also what stage of the relationship. Because a lot of these things, if we haven't met yet, I'm not doing any of that with you at all. I like your past, present, future as a point of reference too. We obviously all want to hone in on our inner Lola Jean. I'm like feeling so inspired now um, after having this conversation. Because you really were able to break things down in, um, in a logical way for me. But for our listeners, what can they do to be more, or me too, actually, sexually empowered, liberated, 
and comfortable with our sexual desires? I know we kind of touched on this a lot, but do you have any kind of like, before we end, any any tips for us to start our own sexual revolutions? So this will be one that is, it's not a quick fix. It's ongoing. I'm probably always going to be still working on it because it's human nature, but really taking away or feeling that we owe someone something else, whether that is sex, orgasm, their fantasy fulfill, all these things. And that doesn't mean like, fuck everyone else, take everything for yourself. Um, But really owning when it's something that's in your pleasure or not, and not feeling that things are a given. Um, So one of my partners, he's actually never orgasmed with me. And that was kind of like liberating because usually how I kind of am is I'm just like, oh, like, do you want to come? Are you feeling satisfied? Do you feel complete? Did you have fun? And he loves it when I like ride his face. He's like, yeah, I had a great time. We did that. That was awesome. I'm like, okay, cool. But it's something that hasn't happened. And it's like interesting of like removing myself from that. If a lot of people would feel like, is it me? Like, what am I doing wrong? He's not having a good time. But like, we've been able to communicate. He still wants to see me. He still likes me. Like the thing that he likes sexually most in the world, I hate. So it's just like, we're just not going to align on that. So it's like this process of removing this feeling of like, I owe someone something or how they're feeling as a reflection of me. At the same time, on the flip side of that, it's also this pressure where we feel like we have to perform and be these like sex goddesses or have five orgasms in order to make someone else feel better. Where like, that's going to, if someone's time is dependent on if I enjoyed myself or not, that's so much pressure now for me to enjoy myself that I just might not, but I'll probably fake it. So like I can, you know, I don't, I I'm so done with coddling people's egos, but I, it's still something I have to do all the time. Like I was saying, this is a thing that like, I'm still working through as well. So it's separating that you feel like you owe people things, but also still being a decent human and like, you know, checking in and maybe my person's like, I would really like to come. And it's like, okay, um, well, I don't really want to give you a blow job. Can I assist with your masturbation or a hand job or something like that? That's I'll, I'll throw something in there. Like, how can I assist? That's not these ways I don't really feel like doing. Um, or sometimes I'll just be like, no, I'm good. Be like, okay, cool. Have a good day. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's removing that. And then also this is something that we can realize is like a projection from other people. So it's more of a two-way street when that pressure gets put on ourselves to like enjoy ourselves instead of like learning, having fun, you know, accepting our bodies for where they're at and meeting them where they're at, you know, pushing them when we feel appropriate. But I think we have this grass is always greener approach when it comes to other people's sex lives all the time. And it's kind of up to you of like, what makes you satisfied? Is it the amount of sex? Is it the type of sex? Is it your solo sex? So figuring out of like, what is satisfying to you? And that's not determinant on society or your friend group's view of sex. Lots of self-exploration, which I think is very, very important. Thank you so much, Lola Jean, for giving us so much of your time today. I feel like we've all learned so much and um, we really appreciate it. And I know our listeners are just going to love this episode. If you want to find out more about Lola Jean, learn more from Lola Jean, you can follow her on Instagram at lolajean.com and .com is spelled out. She is a wealth of resources and you guys are just going to love following along. Thank you so much, Lola. Jean. (laughs) Thank you. Cows, you know what to do. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple and don't forget to follow us on Spotify. You can continue keeping up with our adventure on the gram at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. Now go tell your friends about it. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.